So how you doing, everybody? Uh, this is Charles. Uh, this is Howlcast, Howl for Wildlife podcast. Today, we have Amy Patrick. She's with a few different organizations, I believe now, because there's a new one, but mainly Oregon Hunters Association. Is that is that correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we have David McCarr. Did I say your last name? Yep. And he is with Black Rifle Coffee Company's Free Range American who uh they're kind of the, the magazine what, what is it what is it David? we're a, a website that focuses on hunting fishing and the outdoors and uh everything badass that people do in the outdoors from archery to fishing it's a little bit of everything you know yeah adventure survival all of it awesome so we were going to have uh, he might pop in we we're going to have james nash on as well but i think He's on a riverboat or up a mountain or something. He's probably not going to be able to make it. But anyway, uh, back back to to Amy. Um, so let me just explain. So Amy's going to be kind of answering questions and talking about a a measure that's going to be on a ballot in Oregon. It's called Measure One One Four. It used to be what was that IP fourteen? Is that what it was? IP seventeen. IP 17, that's right. But mm-hmm. now that it's on the ballot, is that why it's called Measure 114? Yeah. Okay. Qualified as Measure 114. Okay. And that's an issue that's going on in Oregon that could have uh, severe ramifications for, for hunters, for gun owners. Um, it's, it's, it seems to be something that's federally, if it was to pass, this would be challenged. It's, it's major anti 2A. Um, so, I originally spoke with, with Amy, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago, you reached out or maybe it was a week Mm -hmm. ago and kind of how we can get involved or what we can do, spread the message. I said, all right, well, let's start with a podcast to, to talk about it. I don't know much about it. And so I reached out also to David. David is here because he'll be writing about it. Well, let's just have us all together. Um, (laughs) and he can, um, so David at any point, you know, talk about, bring up anything, you know what I mean? Talk, yeah. ask questions, whatever. Everyone's, you know, I'm not necessarily the host here. I just want to get information and, and see what's going on. So, um, Amy, before, uh, you just said something, you said you're going to Texas soon, I think tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. And you, why are you going to Texas? Just tell us, tell us what's going on. Just continue that conversation before we, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I'm flying out to Texas tomorrow morning uh, for my first ever hunt. So I do work for the Oregon Hunters Association. I've worked for them for about three and a half years now. I'm sixth generation Oregonian raised on a farm. Uh, you would think by now, um, with both my background and my job, I would have uh, been a hunter by now. Um, but I was raised on a cattle ranch um, and we didn't, we never needed meat. Our freezers were always full and was never a priority in our family. Um, so uh, I've been exposed to it, obviously, through my work um, and through, you know, friends who have hunted. And um, my role with with OHA is policy director. So I'm advocating for hunting rights. I'm, I'm protecting hunters' rights in both the legislature and in policy, uh, the policy realm with our fish and game agency. Um, and the more that I learned about the North American model and the more I've defended it, the more I've just known that, you know, to be to be a, the best advocate that I can be, I also need to become a hunter. Um, and so I applied for and was lucky enough to be selected as one of the 12 women that get to go to 
uh, Texas for the Wild Sheep Foundation's Women Hunt uh, program. So it's a week long, pretty intensive, learn to hunt. They walk us through, you know, all the steps and everything. And then we get opportunity um, to hunt whitetail doe down there. So uh, really excited about that uh, and really um, honored to be part of the 12 women that get to go this year. That's super cool. I'm really excited yeah. for you um, to do that. It's um, I'm always excited for anybody that goes on their first hunt or their hundredth hunt, honestly. But you know what? I grew up in Michigan and I hunted all my life, but I hunted oftentimes on on farmers' lands. Farmers don't hunt. <laughs> They're like, yeah. we don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, go ahead. You want to go hunt? That's fine. Um, that's very typical. You know, they'd, yeah. they'd slaughter their own meat and, and whatnot. And it's, it almost seemed like, I just don't think they have time. Maybe every once in a while they would, you know, they, they'd go shoot something, but a, not a priority. Even it's though not, there's all kinds. It's, it's so interesting a, to me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, they just, they also have too many hunters begging to hunt on their land, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, that's a typical story though. What you, what you said there for sure. Um, that's cool. I'm really excited for you, um, for that. And it, I'm excited to know, you know, I'm excited to, 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 to hear from you afterwards, your experiences, you know, that you've had with that. Cause it, it really, it's going to be something different. It'll be a different level. You know, I don't know what it's going to be for you, but that'll be, I'm excited to hear about that. It, and I, I really, I just want to go be a sponge, you know, again, working with, with the group that I work with, it's not like I don't have people who, who, can take me hunting here in Oregon. Um, my husband hunts, but I will say we've been married for 25 years. And one of the things we've learned in that 25 years is that I don't learn well from my husband yes. and, and you have to acknowledge those things and just work with that. So instead I'm going to Texas to learn from a bunch of strangers because that's how I will learn better. <laughs> I, I 100% can relate to that as well. Um, my wife hunts with me every once in a while. Uh, she's got got into archery and I've been an archer all my life. We'll go to the range and she just gets mad at me. And I'm like, man, what am I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's just the dynamic. It's, it's kind of like coaching your son. Mm-hmm. No, like, let me find a coach, you know, for sports or whatnot, because it's just, yep. there's something different with that. Oh, he's a coach. I'm going to, I'm here to learn, you yeah. know, you're my dad or you're my husband or whatever, you know, it's like, it's more personal or something. There's this funny dynamic, but yeah, no, it makes sense. It makes total sense. <laughs> um, Jillian, my wife has often said, I just need to go on my own. Like you, I'm like, yeah, I know you're, you're right. Actually. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's really the only, the only way you're truly going to learn is, is, you know, let go and, and don't have any reins and go fail yourself because that's what hunting is. It's failing. Mm-hmm. for everybody you know and then and then you you get a little better and you sometimes get lucky and sometimes you know whatever it just depends on how much time you want to put into it it's like anything that's exciting yeah um what's not exciting <laughs> is measure one one four correct and um it's a it's a bill. It's going to be on the. It's going to be on the ballot and and possibly to the uh, you know the 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 uninitiated, uh, the uneducated. You might somebody might look at this bill and say, "Oh yeah, this this is a good thing." Maybe I don't know. Um, 
you know, the way it's written, but it doesn't seem like it is. And there's a lot of details to it and there's a lot of problems and there's a giant besides the problems, there's a, there's a big problem that it puts a, a giant pause on the purchase of firearms. And, um, I think it's important for everybody to know about this, not only if you live in Oregon, but any state that you live in, because here's the way things work. Um, and it's the same with anti-hunting bills or whatnot. When one thing works in one state, that same messaging, that same bill, you know, just in somebody else's hands, um, will move to another state and will try to be successful there. So everybody needs to be involved. If you don't live in Oregon, you can't vote on this, you know, but you need to know about it. And if you do live in Oregon, uh, you, you definitely need to vote on this. And before I, um, and that's, that's all, that's kind of my, what I know about this bill. And, and that's why Amy's here to, to explain this. David, you had, you had something there. Yeah. To your point, uh, Charles, there's, um, there's existing legislation and processes, permitting processes like this in other states already. And from what I've learned about 114, uh, it's taking those to another level. So you're, you're seeing what you just described in this progression here. This isn't the start. This is another domino um, if it falls. Okay. So, Amy, what's happening? Okay, so let me let me give you a quick backgrounding just on or the way voting happens in Oregon too, because that's going to be um, kind of a, a key part of this. So we've been doing vote by mail uh, for quite a while. Oregon has it's. It, I mean, I vaguely remember having to go to the polls, um, and so I, I'm. I think I don't have the numbers on it, but we've been doing this I think for about two decades now uh, with vote by mail. So everybody gets their ballot this month, right? It's not. We're not up against the time frame of November 8th necessarily when everybody would go to the polls. We're up against the time frame of about October 20th is where when ballots are going to be out. And you have that sector of the population that will vote right away, mail them back in. Um, and then you have the, the sector that will wait for a while. So our time frame is, is very much shortened um, when you put that into perspective there. Um, I mentioned that this started as IP17. In Oregon, we have the initiative petition um, process where folks could get something put on the ballot through this process of, of um, gathering signatures. We're seeing that right now with IP3, which is a whole other podcast about that um, issue. Um, but the bar or the barrier to entry for getting something on the ballot is pretty small. Um, unless it's a constitutional change, it's a 6% of the, the voters from the last election. So the numbers we're working with are 112,020 signatures. So, not a high bar as far as signature gathering to get something onto the ballot in Oregon. Um, when this was still in, in its initiative form, we didn't think that they were actually going to get enough um, signatures. They were running two initiative petitions at the same time, IP17, IP18. Um, we'll go into IP17 here in just a second. The other one that they were running and kind of abandoned would have, have banned all semi-automatic weapons, whether that's a pistol, a shotgun, a rifle, any of it. Um, so it was by far more egregious. Um, and they left that one alone and they focused on this one and they were able to capitalize on the, the events um, in Buffalo and Uvalde to um, get well over the signature uh, limit that they needed by July. So in Oregon, by, you know, 
mid-July to mid-October, that's the time frame you have uh, to basically ramp up any kind of a campaign once something makes the ballot. So it's a very shortened process for us. So when this became measure um, 114, this uh, hit, obviously we'd had it on our radar before when it was a, the initiative process, but now uh, we are, are fully engaged in a, a no campaign um, on this measure. So what it does um, is creates this permit to purchase process. And so in that permitting process, um, you have to go through an additional background check. That background check, it has to include um, not just fingerprinting, but photographing of the permittee. Um, and the, you have a, they have it in statute as far as um, the fee that you have to pay and all that. The, the difference here is you have to go to your local law enforcement officer or your lo local law enforcement agency to apply for a permit, even though OSP or Oregon State Police would still be the main hub for all the background checks. They would be charged with um, formulating all the forms that would need to be filled out. You would still have to go to either your chief of police or your county sheriff to apply for, for the actual permit. Um, and so those forms then will go back to OSP for the second piece of this, which is creation of a searchable database with all the permit holders information. So before we get to that piece, the permitting process, to qualify for a permit, <clears throat> pardon me, um, you have to show that you have completed an quote unquote approved uh, firearm safety course. And they have lined out exactly what has to be entailed to qualify as an approved course. One of those things is a live fire uh, component. And one of those things is um, a module on the effects of homicide and suicide on individuals, the community and the state as a whole. So I call that out because um, those two components, um, one or the other of those two components means that most folks who are already in the state and have a concealed carry license or have gone through hunter safety do not qualify. Um, because most of those courses, hunter safety uh, in particular, does not have a module uh, for 12 year olds on the damage that homicide and suicide does to a community. Um, and not every course is gonna have that live fire component either. And they don't have a system for setting up that live fire uh, training. And the state has already said, we're not gonna do it. So go ahead, Mike. Now, Amy, currently what is, required to purchase a long gun from an FFL in Oregon? You have to do a back, your standard background check, mm -hmm. um, just like you would with, with anything else. Um, and then, you know, you don't get your, your firearm until that comes back and comes through. Um, you pay that permitting process. Um, it's just, just that standard process of background checks. And minimum age requirement, and that's it? Yes. Okay. But our minimum age is still um, fairly low. Okay, there is so I, just want, I just wanted to make sure that this purchasing permit thing, it's brand new, starting yes. from scratch. Okay. Absolutely. There's none okay. of this has been created um, in any way, which is another big problem that we're facing mm -hmm. um, because there's no system in place for the live fire component to, to have these courses, these approved courses that people can take. Which are expensive. Um, <clears throat> yes. Typically. And range, you know, range times, range reservations, you, folks are going to have to work with the existing ranges. Now, just to put this in context, when this went through 
the hearing process once it qualified for the ballot to decide what was going to be in the explanatory statement in the voters pamphlet. Mm -hmm. uh, the folks who were in the room raised this concern and said, you know, that's not something that is is readily available and uh, to people. Um, the people, the proponents of 114 said, well, why can't you just put dummy rounds in and, sh and fire it in a classroom? Um, so they have absolutely zero context for gun safety, for one thing, um, and for how courses are, are conducted now. And, and so that's the unfortunate piece we're working on. Also, how, how does one take a live fire test or course if they cannot own a firearm yet? Exactly. Whose guns are they supposed to be using? The instructors? That's yeah. dicey. And, and that's one of the points we brought up is that it's this vicious loop of to buy a firearm, you already have to have a firearm to show that you're proficient in it. That, you know, it's a very chicken and egg kind of concept it got going. This, this is really typical of um, lately, I guess for me, because I've been involved lately, so I don't know if it's a new thing, but, you know, set up something, make an argument that you can, you know, uh, convince the public, the general public on, get it on the ballot. But the process in order to, uh, to stay in compliance, if it gets passed is almost impossible. No, which, Amy, which means in this case, it would be like, well, you can't, cause I know you're going to get to this, but the process isn't even set up for this. So it would sort of eliminate purchasing guns right mm -hmm. or is there a grandfather did you what if you already own are you gonna have to go back and retrain or re what if you have guns already is that... uh for this is forward looking as far as the permit process okay so from here forward yeah any anybody that be... wants to purchase would have to go through this if it passes and typically be... in other states that have a permitting process like this is say you move to oregon and you already own firearms you would bring them with you. It's not a, a permit to own firearms. It's just Correct. a purchase permit. Permit. Right. I live in New Jersey, and mm -hmm. it's we have something very similar. Although our permit isn't nearly as detailed, but and it's a one at the moment. It's a one-time thing. As I understand it, this would have to be renewed every five years. Every five right? years. Mm -hmm. Yep. That sounds more expensive. Yes. Okay. And. What, how, Amy, how did this get to be a, on the ballot? How, why is this not going through the legislature? Um, to be frank, I think that the groups like this have found that it's easier, even with the, the need to collect signatures to that amount. Uh, it's an easier route than the political fight in the legislature, even with Oregon's um, highly skewed to the Democrat uh, legislation or legislature. Um, Gun bills have come up every session, um, mm -hmm. and it's always uh, a fight uh, to try to protect ourselves there. Um, so I think these guys decided that it would be easier to go out to the public, and obviously uh, the unfortunate events that they were able to capitalize then put them, you know, into the realm of being able to get this on the ballot. Um, and there's not, you know, they're marketing this as this is going to make everybody safer. The name of this, you know, the um, measure is. Um, Reduction in Gun Violence Act, I believe is what they're, they're calling it, mm -hmm. um, with no acknowledgement that these changes are going to have zero effect on criminal violence. 
that was going to be one of my my main questions. What kind of proof did they present that these measures were going to be effective? And I know the answer. Yeah. Right. Um, the, in my experience, uh, ballot referendums or, or measures are far more dangerous in a context like this than a piece of legislation, simply for the fact that they don't have to outline as much as a bill would. And there are so many open questions and um, loopholes and paradoxes, even like we just talked about here. Um, so, yeah, this is a this could be bad. And the voting public will look at their voters pamphlet nine times out of 10. They'll skim it. They'll flip through and they'll look at, OK, well, there's 10 arguments in favor and there's six arguments against it must be OK. Um, and there's not going to be a, a deep discussion with any of them about what this will do. How many votes does it need to pass? Like, what, what does it, is it a certain number or is it a, a simple majority? majority? A simple majority. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. wow. And the recent polling that just came out um, about a week ago, uh, one of the local news, um, news stations had a, a poll um, with 51% of people voting uh, in favor of 114. So again, this is what we're, we're up against. And, and nobody wants to dig into just what Charles was saying, the, the, the framework that's needed. And when, then what does this mean? So in addition to the, the permit process not being established as far as those courses with live fire training, um, none of the structure for any of this has been uh, even talked about. There are local law enforcement agencies that we spoke to just last month about this that didn't even know this was on the ballot. They don't know that this is coming at them. So we don't have any kind of a, a framework in place for the permitting system between OSP and local agencies. We don't have anything in place for these live fire courses that they want everybody to take. So you're, you have two different items there that are going to take a lot of time to stand up. In fact, uh, OSP in the financial statement that went with the, the measure, um, they say they don't foresee any permit sales happening until 2024. Um, and so you're, you're looking at at least a year. Now this measure would take effect also within 30 days of verif mm. verification of passing. So within the calendar year, should it pass, it'll take effect in, in December. Which is another problem with it not being a piece of legislation. Um, yes. If, if this were went through the legislature, I mean, like something like when New York tried to install that ammunition sales database plan a few years ago that ultimately ended up being impossible and it was never implemented. It kept getting pushed off and pushed off with this. Like you said, Charles, in the opening, if this passes, people will literally not be able to buy firearms in Oregon for potentially two years. Correct. What would that do to hunting in the state? It would incredibly impact hunting. And from there, the, the easy follow-on conversation is, what would this do to, to Pittman-Robertson dollars that come back into the state for wildlife conservation, hunter's ed, firearms, um, shooting range improvements, and things like that? Um, it, would, it would drastically affect that. That's not even a conversation that anybody outside of the sportsman's community is, is having because so many people don't even know how PR dollars work. Um, so that's something that, you know, we're talking about, but you have to give everybody a backgrounder in, in Pittman-Robertson for them to even understand why you're concerned then about the ties to this, this measure. Um, <laughs> one of our main 
for us to stay on mission um, with wildlife conservation is, and and this is a great example. This podcast here, why I want to be more involved in 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 two A issues, is simply because of the percentage, uh, the billions of dollars that comes mm-hmm. from the sale of guns and ammo and archery, um, but guns and ammo um, and that goes back into wildlife conservation through Pittman Robertson. So, um, to to me, I mean, this is why. I call everybody, I call the whole group sportsmen. I don't know what the definition of that is, but hunters, fishermen, uh, shooters, uh, I just call them sportsmen. Um, there's like 80, some million of us or more or whatnot. Um, to me, this is why we all need to be tied together on each other's issues or, you know, when we, when we, you know, I'm, I'm a shooter, a two-way guy, a hunter, you know, everything. Um, but we all need to be working together. Um, and, 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 and I think we can see it from our own angle. So if you are just a hunter, oh, it's just this two, a bill over here. Well, if they get rid of such and such weapon, which I want to ask you that, um, Mm -hmm. that means less money for wildlife conservation. And, um, and I'm also not for separating just to, uh, not to get too off track here. I'm not for separating, um, where funding for PR comes from. I think it's important that it comes from sportsmen. I think it's um, important that it comes from hunters and shooters and whatnot, um, because I think our our seat at that table um, is very important, and the influence that that we have on that being a minority in in as sportsmen or hunters or or, or whatnot, um, being it that it's user funded. Um, I think that's really important amongst other things, but anyway, hugely, hugely important as somebody who has spent last two years of my life working on, of all things, beaver trapping issues in Oregon. Mm. And the next couple of years are going to be all wrapped up around wolves. The having that seat at the table and being able to have a voice uh, advocating for that science-based wildlife management and being there because of those funds and because of our state license dollars uh, that's huge. It's absolutely huge to be able to still have that seat. Now, are there, um, is, I think there's also certain types of guns, maybe ammo. I'm not sure yeah. um, that that's just, yeah. that's just banned, right? Well, it's going to be can't a do capacity. That anymore. It's going to be a capacity. It's capacity. Limit, right? Okay. Exactly. But, so let's move. Oh, sorry. Go it, ahead. It's worse than the magazine bans that we've seen in other states. It could, yes. again, they're going farther um, than other states have when they've limited capacity to 10, ma- 10 round magazines. I mean, I'll let you explain it, Amy, but from what I read, it goes quite a bit farther and would, would result in current gun owners owning firearms that would be considered illegal going forward. Yes. And that's, so it's written as a ban uh, and how they're, they're you know, putting it forward as a ban on magazines that can hold uh, 10 or more rounds. Um, the way that the language is written in the, the measure, they have specified both fixed and detachable magazines. And so that changes the landscape of that statement drastically. Yep. So now, because you have the, the mini rounds, the home defense rounds, now you're looking at shotguns with a barrel of 21 inches or longer being potentially outlawed because they can fit those small, 10 of those small rounds in there and it doesn't have a, a specificity to caliber at all. Um, and so, because of that, technically speaking, those shotguns will now be illegal. Now, if you're a waterfowl hunter, that's huge, or it should be huge to you. 
they have ex exceptions written in for 22 uh, caliber and they have um, an exception for um, lever action, but everything beyond that. So like just the other, just yesterday, actually, I was asking my husband, uh, uh, you know, Hey, what, what is this going to do to your pistols? What is this, you know, going to do to pistols who come from the factory with a 15 round magazine, like his Glock? Uh, how are you going to alter that? Because it's also in the language that it cannot be a temporary fix. Any magazines to be legal have to be permanently altered to hold less than that. Right. So, you know, again, this is being written by people who don't understand firearms and they have an idea of what they think would make them quote unquote safer. Um, and I would, I would posit that, you know, limiting magazines, uh, in my opinion, um, doesn't do anything to slow a proficient uh, shooter uh, at all. Um, and so there, you know, this is, this is something where I've actually had some of my members contact me and be upset with me because of OHA's uh, opposition to the measure and their initial response is no hunter needs more than 10 rounds, no hunter, you know, and, and I can argue with them and, and say, well, you know, when you're out there, you're not always the hunter. <laughs> there are times when you're, you're being hunted, you know, there are predators in the field with you and you, you need a self-defense weapon. However, even beyond that, once you start explaining to them that this is a fixed magazine capacity, then they start to understand the ramifications that it has. But people who don't understand how firearms work and don't understand that difference in that nuance are just going to look at, oh yeah, yeah, let's get rid of those big, scary magazines. That seems good. You can mag change very quickly if you right. if you practice. Um, so you know, I if I'm limited to ten, I can <laughs> can put another one in pretty quick. Um, and and you know, and not to not to really. It's 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 easy. Yeah, man, the other side has it so easy because they don't really have to prove anything. And we always no. just have to like prove it and come up with these examples and just, you know, sort of get side, get outside of Hollywood or whatever you see on TV. Cause I, I see it all the time. Like, how come that guy needed to shoot 10 times or whatever? Well, um, in a real situation, uh, shooting 10 times is not a lot at all when you're under pressure and, um, not to go really down that road, but it's just, I hear that all the time, you know, and maybe you don't need more than 10 for hunting. But guess what? This is also a Second Amendment issue, and that's a right. That's a constitutional mm -hmm. right. Um, anyway, second, ten ten rounds is not just about hunting. No, Let's just reiterate yeah. that. Yeah, and, yeah, um, oh, certainly not. Um, yeah. it, it's um, it's just I hear that all the time, and it and it gets it gets frustrating the the ten round thing. And the other the thing that gets lost is um. And I'll probably say this wrong. It's going to, I don't know how to say this right, but David, you'll probably know, but I know a few years ago when I looked, I'm like, all right, what are the, there's so many guns in the United States and there's, and when, when something terrible happens, um, like Evalde or you name it, we have to get rid of AR 15s and whatnot. So I looked up, you know, how many people live in the United States, uh, how many guns are there. And the FBI, I don't think gave statistics. They don't specify AR-15s. It's just rifles, like amount of, of you know, people killed by an individual using a rifle. And it's something like 
300 people a year. It was something like that. So that includes AR-15s in that and all the other rifles as well. And it's been, it's wild to me, the extreme response on something where, I mean, if you look at it in any other industry, if you have, uh, how many people in the United States? Is it 300 million? I don't know what it is. Let's just say it's 300 million. About 300 million. And we're going to have, we're going to take over the airways and all news channels and everything are going to be consumed about getting rid of um, a, a tool that results in maybe 300 people uh, being being killed by by an individual using that tool. Can you imagine if we applied that to any other industry? Because I mean, mm-hmm. and this is, I, don't, I just don't know how to say this right, but stats wise, I'm like, holy cow, like it's, I'm sort of surprised it doesn't happen more to tell you the truth. And I think one of the reasons why it doesn't happen more, and this also doesn't get talked about, doesn't get reported on, is there are um, an, an armed citizenry that is responsible and that puts up preventative measures just just because of that fact and we can't ever prove that was going to stop something because nothing ever happened right but then we get if obviously a few instances where you know let's i don't know the guy in the mall right you, we don't know how many people if, if that guy wasn't there in the mall um we don't know how many people the the uh the killer was going to kill we have no idea right you know anyway it's just it's so this argument's always so hard because they they got it so easy. They can just throw all kinds of stuff out there and people who don't know any better, you know, why do you need 10 rounds and all this? It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, there's a video of a guy, not to call him out, um, where a mountain lion was stalking him or something. I don't know. Um, I thought it was silly that he's holding his phone in one hand and he's shooting his 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 handgun with one hand, um, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do handguns are not easy to be accurate with you know they're they're really not like you know anything over 25 yards you're like holy cow you know you're not this isn't mel gibson on lethal weapon um do it with one hand and you got a mountain lion you know coming in on you he missed every time i don't think he wanted to try to keep it in frame you know trying to keep it in frame and everything and it's like (laughs) dude if that mountain lion i mean if if he wanted to be on him he would have been on him and i don't think he would have shot him one time absolutely it's just i saw that this morning yeah yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know but anyway it's just there's a there's a there's a reality that people aren't in touch with here and it's just it's so frustrating when it comes to uh to to these conversations because we have to we have to disprove we have to do more disproving or i guess i don't know how to say it than than the other side does but anyways yeah like you said to get back to to get back to the uh the capacity limit Mm -hmm. um I can give people a, a little peek as to what that would look like if it were to happen in New Jersey a few years ago for, for a long time, we had a 15 round capacity limit. And I think it was only Jersey and Colorado were the only two States that had a 15 round limit. For some reason, they picked 15 instead of 10. So for years, there were a lot of handguns that, you know, before they started jumping up to 17 and 20 round capacities, a lot of nine mil handguns topped out at 15 and a lot of things were good to go for a long time. And then all of a sudden one year they dropped it to 10. And what happened was you either had to get rid of your mags or you had to take them to a gunsmith and have them, like you said, permanently altered. 
And there was never any real clear guidance given on what permanently altered meant. So you ended up getting places that were like, I have a few magazines that have bolts in the bottom that are holding blocks in place, you know, so that they can't hold more than 10 rounds. And uh, the gun shops were charging about 30 bucks a magazine sometimes to make that modification because they had every single gun owner who wanted to stay on the right side of the law coming in to do it. And it took months to get your mags back months. And that didn't include fixed magazines like this. Um, I'm shocked that there's no, usually there's either, they either add semi-automatic shotguns to it, you know, and exclude pumps and levers, anything that isn't semi-automatic. But like you said, they specifically included lever actions, but not pumps. Yep. Yep. Lever action and 22 caliber. That, those are the only, <laughs> the only two that they call out um, as having any kind of a, an exception. And the other piece about the, the magazine limit side of it is, um, and I'm going to look at the, the, the language here so that I'm, I'm sure that I'm saying this correctly. Um, they attempted to put in here an affirmative defense piece that would address people who have owned the, the magazines prior, right? So that it made it more forward looking from here on out. If you purchase, you can't purchase these, you know, larger magazines. Um, so they attempted to put an affirmative action defense or an affirmative defense uh, statement in here. Um, and so they've given a few little exemptions. Um, like if you had them beforehand, if you were um, if they were gifted to you from a, a, a family member who died, basically, uh, and that's how they came into your possession. And then you also have always kept them on private property. Uh, you have only used them to engage in, you know, private or sports shooting and approved range. Um, they do say uh, hunting and, and in here as well. The problem with this section and what they've tried to, to create here, this affirmative defense, it is linked uh, to a, an Oregon revised statute that does not exist. They, they <laughs> reference ORS 166.055. That ORS does not exist. It, and from what I can tell, it never has. It's not listed uh, in there where usually if something has been listed and repealed, it will be listed and have that notation. It's not noted in our ORSs at all. Um, so what that means is, and, and this is again, something that was called out before this went to the ballot, when it was in the hearing process, the Department of Justice even came in and said, no, that's a pretty substantial mistake. That's not like a typo. This, this is a, an issue that will have to be rectified. So if measure 114 passes, they will have to have a legislative fix in the next legislative session in 2023 to somehow fix and or address this portion um, that was meant to be this affirmative defense. So again, uh, poorly written, made the ballot, and now the, the election is not gonna be the end of it. Now this will have to go into the legislature, uh, which may or may not be less democratic when we, you know, Democrat leaning uh, in 2023 after this election, um, and have to, we're gonna have to rely on the legislature then to fix whatever affirmative defense portion was written into this. So causes that, more and chaos. that is specific to uh, the, the large capacity, quote unquote, large capacity magazine section. And how, how so, would one prove any of those qualifiers? 
Like, Again, yeah, enforcement is is such a question mark with any of this. We have, you know, the uh, the sheriffs that have come out against this. Um, you know, one of the things that we that I've been talking to people about too is that the cost to the taxpayers. So just really quickly, the the cost for Oregon taxpayers. Um, this is what's estimated for the 2023-2025 biennium. So forward looking as they set the, up all this framework, they're estimating for the state government. So this would be our tax dollars that go into our general fund uh, in the legislature. They're saying $14.5 million from the general fund from our state taxes. That's primarily for OSP and DOJ. It's primarily for OSP to hire about 26 to 28 people to create the framework and maintain the database, which we haven't even talked about the database part of it yet. Um, but then local governments, because remember this has to be administered through your local law enforcement agency, local governments, so county and municipal tax dollars, the, the estimation for that biennium is $51.2 million. So again, for, for an Oregon taxpayer, for me, I'm paying state taxes and I'm paying local taxes for, for both of these pieces of this implementation to go forward. Um, so that's a huge thing that, again, is not getting daylighted nearly enough, is what the cost of this setting up this kind of a permitting structure and database would even um, look like and or cost Oregon taxpayers. And that's all on top of what applicants would have to pay in fingerprinting fees and processing yes. fees. Because most and of also, that is passed through. Right. And most state police operate on digital fingerprinting systems now. So, I mean, it's not a matter of going down to the police station and getting inked. Like, you have to go to specific locations that have that, that machinery mm -hmm. and that personnel. Mm. So... And again, like I said, we talked to several law enforcement agencies that didn't even know this was coming at them. Um, and so to say that that local law enforcement would be unprepared, I think would be an understatement, um, which again, feeds back into what we were talking about. There, This will halt gun sales in Oregon because there's no way that they're going to be able to set anything like this up, be able to hire the people, be able to create this framework the, the communication between OSP out to local law enforcement and back again um, for the database piece, it, it's a mess. And I don't, I don't, I'm trying to believe anyway, because I, I don't want to think this badly of them, but I'm trying to believe that the proponents just didn't have a concept uh, of what they were trying to, to establish here. I think they were working in ideals and not in reality. Um, and I think that's probably a, a relatively fair statement. They they deal with emotion. Charles, to your point, you know, we how do you disprove emotion? That's the side of the table we're generally on, uh, and whether that's wildlife conservation or or issues like this. Who who is behind it? Are, is there a specific group? Um, have they been involved in other states? Before, you know, is there something the who is this it? This is pretty Oregon centric. It's a group called Lift Every Voice, and it's a group that the figureheads anyway of the, the organization are a group of faith leaders out of Portland. Um, and so that, you know, that's kind of their selling point, if you will, you know, you've got, you've got rabbis and ministers and, you know, all of these kind of faith leaders that are calling for an end to violence. And I'm not using their which, term, which is guidance. great, right? I mean, that right. <laughs> sounds great. Yeah. 
Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to lean into their rhetoric of, you know, gun violence. It's just violence. Um, whether you're, you know, whatever tool you're utilizing. Right. Um, the problem is again, here in Oregon, um, we have a very, um, broad geography, but we have a very, um, dense metropolitan area in Portland. And that tends to lead the state. How Portland votes tends to be able to drag the rest of the state along with it. So for me, you know, in the mornings, I have my coffee, I'm scrolling through my news apps. And when I scroll through the the Portland news, of the eight to 10 top stories, four to six of those will be about shootings that are happening in Portland. Um, And that is the driver behind this. And again, I think, Charles, you mentioned this before, too. When you look at the statistics and you look at the reporting, it's, it's not that violence with firearms has increased this exponential number. It's that the instances of reporting about it have vastly increased. And so it gives this false narrative that, you know, people are just out going crazy with, you know, with their firearms and, and all of this violence when it's a false front, if you will, of, of reporting versus the actual statistics. And some cities have seen an uptick in violent crime uh, since the beginning of the pandemic, but we're nowhere near the levels we were in the 90s. I mean, violent crime across the U.S. and in major metropolitan areas peaked in the 90s, and we're nowhere near that. And to what Charles said before, I mean, rifles are hardly ever a component of any of this. Most gun crimes are committed with handguns and always have been always have been period they, it's been a constant and portland would be the absolute worst place to look in my opinion um at your at your violence statistics given just the last two years of portland with the amount of riots defund the police all of the, the issues that portland has going on uh that all the variables that feed into what you see coming out of the, the news uh, sources in that area. And, and I, I know much of it is these crimes are committed with guns that aren't owned legally and aren't registered anyways, and they're stolen and all that. And that's the thing. A lot of these, you know, these ideas and these bills that people want to pass, it, it really only affects the law abiding citizen and that, right. you know, Oh, there's a law out there. So a criminal's not by definition, the criminal, they break laws. I mean, you know, the, the more of these laws, it's actually better for them. Yeah. Because there's less of a chance that they're going to face somebody, you know, with a firearm that's actually defending themselves or others or whatnot. But anyway, yeah. Uh, now, something we haven't talked about. <clears throat> I mean, this would put, brick and mortar gun retailers out of business in Oregon yes. period. Yeah. If you can't sell for <laughs> two years, all they'd be able yeah. to sell is ammo. Um, yeah. And, and hunting gear. Just all to right. put this in perspective, my, my husband and I always have um, a list of things that we're budgeting for. Yeah. You know, we have a little farm. So we're always, we have, you know, whether that's a college tuition for one of the kids or fencing projects or buying livestock, and firearms are usually in that list somewhere, right? That we're, we're wanting to budget for. But they always kind of slip down the list a little bit because you've got more things that you've got to spend your, your money on. Uh, I had a conversation with my husband two weeks ago and I said, we need to prioritize 
these these rifles, these these purchases that you have kind of on our on our little list here, because now we have a timeline, uh, and I'm I'm very fearful of this passing, um, and I encouraged him to go make those purchases. And when we were talking to our local firearms dealer, he he was concerned about the same thing. He's like, it's going to put us out of business because nobody will be able to even have the ability to to purchase with the with this permit should they choose to you know, to go that route and not just go out of state, uh, to, to purchase, um, we'll, we will be out of business. Obviously it'd be challenged immediately. Absolutely. And, and there are some, yeah. some recent rulings that give us some hope that way. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the ruling in, I believe it's Massachusetts that has a similar kind of license or permit system that was just ruled against. Um, and that was within the last two weeks, I think. But the problem is, to my knowledge, and, and perhaps you guys can um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, there's no guarantee that even if, if litigation is brought uh, on the measure, that it will be stayed while the legal um, you know, process runs out. I believe right. that's up to the judge who hears the, the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an attorney, but um, typically if a suit is brought, up, brought against a measure like this, yeah, it would be up to the judge whether or not to grant an injunction while the suit is processed, and and he could or he couldn't. She, yeah. he, um, yeah, it would be up to them. I mean, yeah, they could grant an injunction, and that would halt all of this, and everything would go on as normal until the suit could be sorted out, um, which would probably, if it passes, would be, I would think, the best outcome at that point that we could hope for um 51 you said is the polling mm -hmm. this that's very slim do you think what, what are the what are the thoughts that this could be swayed the other way we're cautiously hopeful i think would be the term i would use there are several sportsmen's groups who have banded together and we've formed a pack um, and are, we're working really hard to get the messaging out there beyond our own memberships, because that's preaching to the choir a bit, right? So we're really working at kind of a grassroots approach, but also looking at really focused digital marketing because we have such a short window between now and when ballots uh, get into people's mailboxes. Uh, and we're trying to get into that, you know, the, the broader community beyond the sportsman's community, because our, our folks, for the most part, already know this is a bad idea. It's now about trying to convince people who don't, have, you know, maybe are agnostic to it at this point, um, that there's enough problems with it, that this is not the solution. And that's the, the messaging. It's not that we don't agree that, that violence is bad, but the levers that this is trying to pull are not the levers that are gonna accomplish the outcome that the proponents are wanting. Um, and so it's really about trying to get that message out there to the folks who haven't made up their mind yet. The database aspect should scare the hell out of everyone. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Who would control that? Would it be the state police? It, the state police is charged with, with creating it. There is okay. no clear stipulation in the language over who would be able to control and or have access uh, to that information. So the other piece of this permitting system or permit to purchase system is this creation of a searchable database. And I use that term because that's in the language. A searchable database is what's called out. It would hold all the permit holders' um, personal information to include their photograph, 
uh, I would assume, and I'm making that assumption because I've not seen photographing somebody as part of the background check included previously. That's not been something that I've ever had to go through. Um, and so my assumption is that would also be information that would be included in, in the database. The other troubling aspects of it um, are that once you're in the database, you never come out of the database. So like we mentioned before, the permits are only good for five years. But if you are in the system and you let your permit expire, you're just noted as an expired permit. Uh, you are not removed from, from that system at all. So once in the system, always in the system. Uh, the other aspect is just what you were saying. There's no stipulation as to who controls that data. Um, and we don't know for sure if that information would be subject to uh, a FOIA request. There's, there's absolutely no um, delineation. There are no clarity around how protected uh, that information may or may not be. And as we saw with California's concealed carry you know, uh, database, and that that was basically opened wide to the public, um, you know, in, in recent months. That's a scary proposition. The other piece is every firearm that you purchase with a permit is recorded into that database. So not only do they have your personal information, uh, they are now trying to establish a list of all the firearms that, that you own with that permit, not obviously previously owned firearms would be excluded from that, but forward facing, they want a full database of all firearms purchasers and all the firearms that they have purchased. And you know, it is, it is. And I try not to um, pull the, the tinfoil hat out uh, all the time, but boy, things like that make it really difficult to not see where that would be going. Especially when you have people that have no idea what they're talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's really easy to get things on the ballot. And yeah. it's just, you know, I, ugh, mob rule, mob rule on rights is not good. Um, it's, so you brought up the, um, I kind of really appreciate this. There's a, there is a new group, right? I think you were talking about the sportsmen opposed mm -hmm. to gun violence. And, um, you know, that is a, I like that kind of name because um, some people will just look at it and it plays the same game as the other side. Oh yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Whatever they're for, they're just you know they're opposed to gun violence. So am I. Don't read anything else, you know. But anyway, what is and, what is what is that group? And and I that was just formed, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and so that that was just formed, and again, that was our way of you know we have to obviously abide by campaign rules, and and so if you're going to have a political political action committee and, and a no campaign, you've got to have your reporting systems and, and such. So that was our, our way of putting that together. Um, right now we have uh, Oregon Hunters Association, Congressional Sportsman's Foundation uh, is in there, um, NSSF is there, um, RMEF, uh, several of our, our sportsman's groups from <laughs> another coalition that was formed. Yeah. I don't want to get too confusing with the yeah. names. Um, but we did, we chose that name on, on purpose, um, because mm -hmm. you have obviously ads are, when you do an ad, you have, that's the last thing anybody hears, right. Is who paid for it. And so you want to name it something that carries, still carries your message. Um, and so our full name actually, I, I believe is sportsmen opposed to gun violence vote. No on 114 is the, <laughs> the full name of the back. Um, but we're, like I said, we're trying to mobilize, um, with a, a sportsman's voice. We want to talk about Pittman Robertson funds and, and the impact. We want to talk to about the fact that 
all waterfowl hunters should be, you know, really, really concerned about this because of the effects of, of making shotguns, certain shotguns illegal. Um, you know, there's a, a sportsman's aspect that doesn't always get uh, talked about, and yet they're, they're very compelling arguments. And so we felt like that was an area where we could step in, run parallel with some of the national groups and, and carry some similar messages, but then also make sure our specific issues are being heard as well. And that's a, um, I'm actually looking at that website right now. Mm -hmm. um, dot 114org yep. um, And they go over kind of this, you know, obviously this entire, this entire measure and what it means just really quick. 114 messes with outdoor legal hunting with, with an explanation why messes with conservation funding for Oregon's wildlife and habitat with an explanation why. Uh, 114 messes with your privacy. We just talked about that. 114 messes with law enforcement. They're all the red tape and redundant background checks and on an already strange system. Um, so that might be a good that might be a good website there uh, for people to check out. Um, that, that's something we didn't hit on either. I mean, presumably they'd be using the NIC system for these background checks, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's just a whole nother batch of Nick's checks going to the FBI. And the thing that's mm -hmm. interesting about this too is, um, you know, it's an additional background check to get your permit, but that doesn't negate any of the background checks that you have to make at a point of purchase then. Right. So right. it's, it's this extra layer. And when asked about it, the proponents said, well, somebody could do something to negate themselves from passing a background check between the time that they apply for their permit and then if they wait a few years to, to buy a firearm. Okay, well then why do we even have to have the initial background check if you're concerned that at every point somebody has to have uh, their background check renewed and you know such. Well, so yeah. it, it really that, gets into this just throwing barriers up at, at firearm owners. That also plays into a misconception of uh, how the NIC system works, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's not real time. Right. I mean, that could have states are responsible for submitting those records every so often to the federal government to be added to the NIC system, whether it's mental health records or criminal records. And uh, uh, there's gap. There's a, a latency. I mean, someone could pop positive for a NICS check for quite a while after uh, legally being disqualified as a gun owner. But by just the sheer size and nature of how the system works. There's also a misconception that they're pushing very hard, which is um, the, the three-day time frame. So there was a gentleman who was uh, really pushing this in, in a town hall meeting that after three days, if a background check doesn't come back after three days, that the, the person purchasing the firearm, well, they get the firearm anyway, that is mm -hmm. what he was saying, right? Um, and, and, you know, in his words, he was saying, oh, well, it's delivered to them, it's sent to them, they can take ownership of it. Uh, and then it's, we're putting our police in danger because then if the background check finally comes back and it's it's negative for lack of a better term that they didn't pass it, then now fire, our, um, police officers have to go out and, and get that weapon back. And I mean, that's, and to me, and again, you guys correct me if I'm, if I'm misspeaking here, but um, I believe that, that the caveat on that three days is that it doesn't hold the firearms dealer uh, liable after if a background check doesn't come back 
within that three day time frame. And I know people who have waited weeks and even months for background checks to come back before they can they can go get their firearm. So whether it allows it and whether it actually happens, I think are two vastly different things. Typically, it uh, that is a typical requirement when you have this, you know, that it's to ensure that things can't get held up in the background check system for too long. But yeah, like you said, does it ever really happen? We saw during the pandemic when the NICS system was utterly overloaded, people were waiting weeks and yeah. they were not getting their guns after three days just because they were waiting for weeks for their NICS check to come back. And it didn't work that way. They didn't get their guns till their permits, till their uh, uh, background checks cleared. So um, yeah, that's written into a lot of laws. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's ever happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've grabbed onto that though, and they are they are very much exploiting that idea that this is how it happens. Um, which, again, they've been asked to provide. You know, let, what are the numbers? You know, can you yeah. can you go talk to law enforcement and say how many times have you had to go do this? Because it, in my world, that doesn't happen that way. And as an FFL, who what FFL would do that? Exactly. Just to cover their own butt. Why would they? not wait until the background check clears you know it's not worth the sale to an ffl you know and for the liability potential so that's another reason why it doesn't happen i don't think ever yeah yeah, yeah so, i can't I, mean, I can't imagine that i'm in california so i yeah i, don't, <laughs> I never see anything like that happening no <laughs> i have to wait i definitely have to wait that's hmm. So anyway, sorry, what do we, um, I mean, it's simple, right? What do we need to do? What do you yeah. need to do if you're in Oregon? If you're in Oregon, the first thing you need to do is make sure you're registered to vote. Um, that is really something that we are trying to, to get the word out on. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, there's a large number of the, the sportsman's community that, that doesn't vote. Uh, and we need them terribly. Uh, especially in Oregon in this particular election. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the candidacy part of it, but this is a pivotal uh, election for, for Oregon in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is Measure 114. And so uh, you have until October 18th to register to vote. So if you're not registered to vote, that's your first step. Uh, the second thing is to vote no on 114 for all the reasons we've been talking about for this, you know, last almost hour here, I think. Um, very clearly giving uh, sportsmen a lot of reasons to oppose 114. Uh, if you're not in Oregon, um, go check out the website for, for our PAC. Um, you can support financially through that, um, or you can just make sure that you're educated uh, so that if this comes to your state, maybe you already have a little bit of a head start on some of the potential problems that it would carry with it. And that website, again, that's the, that's the sportsman Sportsman no, no 114.org. Mm -hmm. And there's a list of all of our participating organizations on there. Um, there's some, I believe, the arguments in opposition from our voters pamphlet are listed on there uh, yep. and several other ways to get information. The text itself is linked uh, there so you can go and not take our word for it, but read through the multiple, multiple pages of it. Um, but yeah, be informed. Uh, that's the best thing that you can do. Is there anything that people outside of Oregon can do to help? Um, 
honestly, the, for me, it's things like this. It's, it's having these conversations uh, so that the broader community of sportsmen know the inundation of these anti-gun measures, anti-legal firearm owner uh, measures. Because as we said earlier, it, they, they will trickle out to every other state. This would be, from what I understand, this would be the most restrictive gun laws in the country if this were to pass. And that just, that raises the bar for every other uh, state. You know, now that it's been done in Oregon, it can be done, you know, basically in any other state as well. So it's really important, I think, to have the conversations around it. Charles, like you were saying, there's always going to be a nexus between 2A and sportsmen. Uh, whether we're talking about Pittman-Robertson, whether we're talking about sports shooters, um, that that community, there's a lot of, of the, you know, if it's a Venn diagram, there's a lot of that overlap in the middle there. And yeah. being more educated about what's coming down the pike or possibly coming down the pike, um, I think is good. Um, like I said, if, if you feel like that's something you want to donate to, donate to it, that's cool. Um, but really, it's just more about making sure that we're all aware of what's going on and arming ourselves, I think, with really valid arguments, um, leaning into this, the statistics. I know that that's a hard conversation when we, we have to battle against emotion. Um, you know, recently, one of my board members was involved in, in a debate about this, and he brought all the things that we just talked about, right? All these things that you're like, this makes no sense, or this, you know, this, these things have these unintended or perhaps intended consequences um, that people aren't paying attention to. And every time he would say something, he was met with the argument of, well, one child being killed by a, by a, a gun is too many. And so those are the conversations, unfortunately, that we are put in, where we're trying to speak from a place of reason and statistic against somebody who's speaking from emotion. And, and again, that runs the whole gamut of arguments that we usually are involved in, in the sportsman's world, but yeah. we have to be able to have the conversations yeah. um, and, and explain to people why that doesn't mean that we're against um, responsible gun ownership. Um, mm. they're, it's, they're not diametrically opposed. You can be a responsible gun owner and still be opposed to something that would put all of these redundant and additional layers and red tape on top of you and, and outright restrictions with this, with this measure. This is not just redundancy. This is outright restriction on your ability to purchase a firearm in the mm -hmm. state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. You certainly can't legislate morality. Um, and I, I think some people think that you can, you know? Um, sure. So I think, you know, people who are outside of Oregon, and this, this will take some organization, um, but it's important to get involved for Oregon, you know? So I'd love to have like some infographics or just something that's, I mean, number one, what you said, it, the, this might possibly be the most restrictive um, gun laws in the nation. Uh, mm -hmm. Should this, should this pass? Um, everyone need, everyone needs to stand up for Oregon here, you know, on social media and make people aware. Um, make, Cause you're hitting people that live in Oregon and they might not know um, any better or whatnot, you know, give them the other side to that. And that could change their vote. That could give them something to, to look into. And also, of course, if you do live there, make sure you are voting, <laughs> 
you know, register the vote, make sure you are voting. Don't vote on anything else. Okay. If yeah. that's, if that's, but vote on this, cause this directly affects you. I mean, you can't say, oh, it doesn't, you know, these things are starting to affect you no matter who you are. You can't, you can't just hide from it. It's, you know, it's, it's directly affecting what you're doing. And, um, you know, whether you're a shooter or a hunter or, or whatnot, even a duck hunter, you know, it's, it's, it's important. Um, and oftentimes I feel like we leave it to, we always leave it to the people who are going to be most affected, you know, and, um, you know, I want duck hunters to be involved in an issue, um, for, uh, you know, when, when hound hunting comes under attack, I want duck hunters to support that because I mean, we are all in this together and we more times than not, uh, we generally face the same adversaries. They just come in different forms and at different times as well. You know, they get to hound hunting, they get the bear hunting, they get the cougar hunting. They're going to get the duck hunting. It's just not the easiest thing for them to start with, you know? Um, so same thing here. It's the same thing here with, you know, just, just call this a, a, a two a issue. Um, it's the same thing. That's why I asked. It's, it's not always the same. That's why I asked who's behind this. Because oftentimes you'll find um, the intentions of who is behind some of these bills. It's important to know if it, it, sometimes they'll actually say it, that if they had a an easy button and they could push that, they'd get rid of all firearms. They'd get rid of the Second Amendment. They'd get rid of your um, right to be able to purchase a firearm for it for any reason and it's important to know their end goals um yeah. it's not always the same you know some people they just they don't know or they're trying to do good i i think most people are well-intentioned you know i do i give them that but there's a lot in between there that the details get involved you know so well that's what we're going to do i know you, you've, you've sent over a few things to me but um we're going to you know really push this and, and hopefully to get people involved in whatever way they can. Um, that's one reason I wanted David here as well, because they have, they have a, a large audience that they can reach. And um, yeah, is there anything else we didn't that we, is there a portion of this that we need to talk that we didn't cover that was super important or what, what do you think? I think we, we hit all the major, I, I've referred to them as buckets uh, of, of issues uh, here. Um, we've hit all the major issues there. I would just say, you know, and this is just a little bit of a side thing here, but for anybody listening that's in Oregon, um, this is the beginning. Um, you know, this, this election is, is pivotal. This measure is pivotal. We already have, um, we've already seen initial legislation coming for 2023. So our legislative session will start in January. Um, and we know there's going to be gun measures brought. We, we, we have heard rumors that the IP 18 idea that I referred to earlier, the, the ban on, uh, semi-automatic weapons, that that will be resurrected as a legislative concept, uh, in 2023. Um, we know of a, a legislative concept already about raising the purchasing age. Uh, and those are just the ones that we know of right now. We won't know for sure until we get through December and, and in, into January and we see the bills getting dropped. Um, but the legislative cycle is going to be huge for um, gun control measures as well. And then 
you know, just looking down the down the road, IP3, and again, that's a whole other topic, but that's the the measure, the initiative petition that would seek to to criminalize hunting, fishing, trapping, uh, animal agriculture, uh, all these things that they are aiming for the 2024 ballot. So if you're in Oregon, you cannot sit on the sidelines anymore. Would be my my message. Um, you've got to get involved, uh, or things are going to be drastically different in the next two years in the state. And that's, man, that's the message for everybody. That's the message yeah. for every state. It's, it's a lack of engagement. You yeah. know, there's so many people that just aren't engaged. Um, yeah, no, you're right on, um, a, um, social media. What, what, who, who should we follow on social media? OHA you're on. OHA would be great. Oregon Hunters Association has Facebook and Instagram. Uh, the, the sportsmen's the no on one, one, four, uh, there's a Facebook page attached with that as well. Um, same name, obviously, as as the website. Um, so those would be both great places to start. Um, and then Congressional Sportsman's Foundation as well. Um, look for those folks. They're carrying the message uh, really loudly as well. Fantastic. Is the awesome. NSSF involved at all? Yes, NSSF is involved. Um, they're part of the PAC. Um, I'm just not as familiar uh, with them to know where to point you for their social media. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I believe if you just search for NSSF, you yeah. will find it. National, yeah. That's the National Shooting Sports Foundation for anyone who doesn't know. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and Free Range American. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm sure you'll be writing something up this about that, uh, about this on there. Um, that'll be on uh, on all your platforms as well and we'll, we'll certainly we'll certainly share it on how um perfect so yeah i'm looking forward to getting this out there and then and um yeah creating some social media posts and and email blasting and just getting everyone to it saddens. this is one thing it saddens me when you said that the police agencies and different they didn't even know that this was coming yeah, yeah. And, and whoever else um that's the same it's the same story with everything and it's like man, there's got to be a way to just streamline when something comes down the pipe. How do we make this stuff known? How do we get, you know what I mean? And so we're, cause it's always, what do we have a few weeks yeah. before this vote? And you know what I mean? And it's like, God, we're always on our heels. That has it, to change. That absolutely has to change in every aspect. I, I it drives me absolutely insane that, uh, I don't know. I, I just got involved this year, but it's like one of the things it's like, we got to, how come they're so ex successful and they can be on top of this and they can get through all this stuff and, and like, nobody knows about it, but they, they can, you know, they get these things passed mm -hmm. and they can be so successful. Why can't we, we're, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That there's something they're doing that we're not. And it's just, I don't know exactly what it is, but that's, that's, we got to really work on that. Um, we we uh, are always on our back foot. It feels like when we're uh, approaching these. Yeah, it's maddening. Anyway, thank you, Amy. Thank you, David. Uh, I look thank forward you. to um, collaborating with you with you on all this. And uh, to everyone out there, get involved. Um, follow them on social medias. We'll have it on the in the show notes or whatever it's called. Um, perfect. Thank you. Thanks. Talk Appreciate to you guys it. Soon. Thank you. Yeah, bye. Take care.